Good morning, Baylife. How are we doing? It is great to worship our God. He is worthy of our praise. Everybody say amen on that. All right. Sorry to have you here. Uh, Everybody had a good Thanksgiving? I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Sorry for the rest of you. Uh, Mine was great. Uh, If you have your Bibles, open them with me to Ephesians chapter 3 as we continue this series uh, as we study the power of God. We are being amazed by God and all that he is, but especially by his power through this series as we examine its impact on us. Paul calls it the immeasurable greatness of his power as he prays that the Ephesians would understand it. And uh, so as we seek to understand it, we're going to go into another phase of it today as we talk about the mystery of God's power. Uh, Lord, thanks so much for this chance to uh, you know, come into this place after what was hopefully a, a, a somewhat restful and uh, uh, replenishing weekend uh, together with family and friends. Uh, we thank you, as we did on Thursday, we thank you uh, for all the things that you give us, uh, for the ways that you bless us as a country, for the ways that you bless us as individuals and as families, for the ways that you blessed us as your church. And uh, as we go today into Ephesians and we see some of the things that we could be and should be grateful for uh, that are tied to your grace and to your gospel, uh, help us to leave here uh, living in light of what you've given us and living uh, our lives as a thank you to you uh, for all that you've done. As always, get me out of the way, speak in my place, bless each person here, wherever they are in their journey with you, uh, with your truth, lead them to yourself, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Thanksgiving in our house is uh, usually a busy time. My wife uh, leads an organization here in town called ECHO, Emergency Care and Help Organization, and so uh, one of the days that they love to help the, the needy and the poor in our community is Thanksgiving morning, so I spent a good chunk of my morning with a lot of other people here from our church who are uh, servants over there as part of that organization, handing out meals and stuff like that. Came home, and this was a first for us. We had our children prepare the Thanksgiving meal. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I had uh, Cracker Barrel gift certificates, uh, gift cards on my desk just in case. I'm not going to lie. But I am pleased and proud to announce that my kids crushed the Thanksgiving meal. They did a great job. Yeah, way to go. And uh, it was delicious. And, and I'm, uh, I've been eating it for every meal since. Is anybody else with me on this? Turkeys are big. There's a lot of meat there. And uh, if you make enough of the fixings, you just don't have to worry about a meal for like five days after that. And, uh, and this is just me, but I think Thanksgiving tastes better coming out of a microwave. That's just what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I don't know if you're with me on that, but uh, it just tastes better to me. Anybody go around their table? And, uh, and, and talk about the things that they were thankful for. A lot of families have that as their tradition. Is that your tradition? Anybody else do that? And just three of you. Well, you should start doing that if you're not doing that. That'd be a good thing. Don't just dive right into the bird. Just take a moment. Talk about things you're thankful for. If, if you were a part of it or if you could have been a part of it, what were, what were some of the things that you would have been thankful for at Thanksgiving? What were some of the things you would throw out? Family was always the first one. And you got to say that because you're usually with them, right? You got to say that. I'm so thankful for all of you. Someone's got to say that. What's another one? Health. Health is a good one. Freedom is a great one, especially in the country that we live in. Jesus, good. Anytime a pastor asks you a question, what are you supposed to say? Jesus, good. Okay, I'm glad we got to it. That was fourth, though. Come on, people. (laughs) As we uh, continue today in Ephesians, uh, we're going to see Paul being uh, um, very clear 
about some of the things that he's grateful for. Very clear with some of the things that we should be grateful for when it comes to the power of our God. I want to read some verses to you. I'm just going to make two points today. You'll, you'll see them when I make them. Uh, but I want to uh, share, you, share with you the things that Paul writes here in the third chapter of his letter as we talk about mystery power. Uh, Paul has been talking uh, in the first two chapters about God's power, especially in chapter two about his power to overcome our spiritual deadness. It says in chapter two, verse one, that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins and that God, because of his love, showed us mercy and gave us his grace and he raised us to a new life, a new life through our faith in Jesus Christ. He has the power to do that. He has the power to take dead things and make them alive. Is everybody grateful for that? He not only has the power, he, he goes on in the latter part of chapter two and he says he, he not only has the power to resuscitate us spiritually and to bring us back to life, but he has the power to connect us relationally. He, he, if you were here last week, we talked all week about the fact that he took Gentiles who are outside the covenant of faith that was given to Israel in the Old Testament and he brought them through Christ into a relationship with the Jews. He, he brought them into the same covenant. They're, they're the recipients of God's blessing now with the, with the Jews. Uh, and historically, at this time, as Paul is writing this, that, that had not been the case. In fact, the two were hostile. They were warring factions. Uh, they were uh, equally hateful of each other. Uh, but in the body of Christ, he, he brought together those that were not. Is everybody grateful that God can reconcile unlike and unlikable people? <laughs> uh, that's what he talked about. So, so as he gets to the next part of his letter, uh, which he wrote, by the way, without chapters and verses, we put those in later. So he's just kind of flowing in his thought here. So he goes uh, here in verse 1 of chapter 3, for this reason, and he's, he's specifically talking about the one uh, area of thought that he had just come from, this whole Jewish-Gentile reconciliation thing, but he's certainly covering everything that he's spoken of in Ephesians to this uh, point. He says, listen, for all of these things, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, let me just kind of cover some of these phrases, uh, for all the things that I've been talking to you about, I, Paul, I'm a prisoner of who? Of Christ Jesus. Wait a minute, that's not what I remember from reading the book of Acts, because if you read the book of Acts, you know that Paul uh, had kind of been planting lots of churches around the Mediterranean, and he actually summoned the elders of this church in Ephesus to meet him in a place called Miletus, and he said goodbye to them. He says, I'm going back to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I, I know that a, a lot of pain and sorrow and conflict uh, and affliction await me, but, but I'm going there under the, you know, the direction of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to serve God wherever he's got me going next. And so he goes to Jerusalem, and if you know the story, uh, things don't go well. He's there for a few days, and then he's a falsely accused uh, by some, uh, some Jews of bringing a Gentile into the Jewish temple. The Gentile's name was Trophimus. Guess where he was from? Ephesus. And, and, and so Paul is accused falsely uh, by some fellow Jews of, of bringing a Gentile in the temple. It causes a huge riot. They're going to take him outside and throw stones at him until he's dead, but the Romans intercede, and uh, Paul basically says, hey, uh, are, are you this way with all the other Roman citizens? And they're like, no, and are you a Roman citizen? And he says, yeah, and he says, I appeal to Caesar, and if you were here this summer, we talked all about that, and so starts the process of him being a prisoner. He is taken captive in Jerusalem. He is going to have his final uh, end-of-the-road experience in a place called Rome, and uh, it was all uh, under God's direction. And, and that's what he alludes to here. He says, I'm not a prisoner of Rome, even though the shackles were put on him by Roman centurions. He says, I'm a prisoner of who? Of Christ Jesus. 
Now, we know in other writings of Paul that he sees himself as, as himself as a bond servant. He's a slave uh, to his master, Jesus. But here he says, hey, I'm in prison, not at the behest of Rome, but because Jesus put me in prison. I'm here because Jesus has appointed, allowed me to be in this situation. I think this is so formative for us, don't miss this, because uh, many times we walk in life feeling like we're imprisoned by whatever's going on in our situations. If it's stuff that's messing, you know, or going wrong in our, our marriages, or stuff with our kids, or stuff at our jobs, or, or just us feeling depressed, right? There's all kinds of uh, hard things. And as we'll find out towards the end of our sermon today, we've got two ways to look at that. We can look at that as, God, you're, you're kind of sleeping on the job. You're messing up. This is not how this is supposed to be. I'm, I, get to, I, I became a Christian, so I'd be happy, and everything would be, go great. You know, get on this. Figure this out. We can become impatient and petulant with our Savior. Or we could be like Paul, who says, you know what? I'm in prison. Apparently, that's where God wants me. And so as long as I'm in prison, I will glorify my God. And if you read the story of Paul, that's exactly what he does. I mean, read the back half of the book of Acts. He just basically, wherever he goes, seeks to glorify God. Most of your New Testament in the back was written while Paul was in prison. The letters that he wrote, he wrote from a jail cell. He, he did incredible things to move the gospel of Jesus Christ forward. He got to share with the praetorian guard, it tells us in Philippians, as he was shackled to them day and night. I mean, he was always making the best of his situation. So even in prison, he says, you know what? I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of my Savior. He's put me here. I will make much of what he's given me. May that be our attitude and our mindset. Uh, he goes on. He says, I'm, I'm here on behalf of you Gentiles. He, he was referring probably specifically to Trophimus, the Ephesian that got him in trouble in the first place, even though he didn't do what he said he was doing. Um, but, but in a broader sense, he says, listen, I'm in prison because uh, I said yes to Jesus on the road to Damascus, and I became the, the, the carrier of the gospel to all Gentiles. And ultimately, that's not sat well with the Jews who don't believe in Jesus. It's not sat, with the Rome, sat well with the Romans who just want to keep the peace. He says, I'm basically here because all y'all. He goes on. But before he goes on, uh, our English translations insert this little hyphen thing. Does yours have a hyphen? Here's what's going to happen. Paul's going to go squirrel, and he's going to take a tangent. Uh, we know this because uh, he starts this, for this reason, I, Paul, prisoner of Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, pauses and says a whole bunch of stuff for 13 verses. And then in verse 14, he says this, for this reason. He's repeating what he said in verse 1 because just now he's getting back to what he started to say. For this reason, like I was saying, I bow my knees before the Father. He said, he's, we'll talk about this next week when you come back. He says, I'm, I, I pray for you guys. I pray that you have the strength to live in the grace that you've been given and make much of this God who loves you. That's what he started verse 1 to do. Um, but in between, he does what so many of us do. Is anybody this person? Where was I? Is anybody a where was I person? Because you've taken several rabbit trails uh, after beginning on a certain path. So let's read that, knowing that now. For this reason, uh, verse 1, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. He's, he's writing to the, the, the church of Ephesus, 
but many of those who are in the church maybe never met Paul in the three years that he was there. They maybe uh, had, had not even been aware that Paul, this would be hard in the early church, but maybe they weren't aware of who Paul was or what his mission was. He says, I'm assuming that most of you know me or know about me. You know that I am, uh, I am the one that God has chosen, this, this, this one who has received his grace uh, on your behalf to bring you the gospel. Of, of, and he goes on, verse 3, of, to explain to you how the, the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. He says, listen, I've already, you know, in the first few uh, paragraphs of this letter talked to you about this mystery. I'm going to explain further. Uh, but I, I assume you guys know that I'm, I'm, the, I'm the messenger. I'm the guy who's been sent to you Gentiles to explain the plan of God through Jesus, to uh, reveal this mystery that was made known to me by revelation. Uh, back then, they didn't have churches and denominations and websites and creeds, and uh, those were all to come later in the history of the church. Back then, uh, it was guys like Paul and the Holy Spirit working through them that basically brought the message of Jesus to the early church. And he says, I assume you guys know that that's me. And when he says mystery here, let's, let's cover that real quick. It's the Greek word mysterion, not very far from the English. But the word mystery here doesn't mean like inconceivable or unknowable. It just means something that hasn't been known until now. I went to the eye doctor yesterday uh, to get some glasses made, and, and uh, I had my eye test. Anybody ever have an eye test? Anybody done this? And they, you know, if you're getting glasses, they put this uh, huge machine with, you know, lenses on it up to your face, and then they tell you, you know, covering one eye or the other, uh, to look at a screen that's across the room, and, and at first you could see the letters. Somewhat blurry because your glasses are off, right? But at first you can kind of see the letters, and you, you say, okay, read the top line, and you kind of get it through the top line, and then read the second line. You're like, nah, 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 nah. And then and my doctor, I don't know if your doctor does this, but he's like, okay, how about now? And he, it's like he shuts the lights out. He brings everything to blurry, right? And you, you, you can barely make out that there are letters, let alone what they are. Is anybody with me on this? And then he starts doing all the flippies, you know, all the flippies, okay. And he says, well, is this better? You know, and, and he says, okay, compare these two, one or two, right? And you give them, okay, just so you know, I don't know about your doctor, but I figured out the pattern. On the first one, it's always one. He wants you to say one. And then he goes again and he says, one or two, and it's always two. And so if you want to cheat on your eye test, just start with one and then go to, two. this is how it works. But, uh, but I didn't want to cheat because I want my glasses to work, so... I legitimately, you know, and, and, and then here's what happens, okay? Things get clear and clear until finally he says, all right, and he's so proud of himself because he's figured out your prescription. All right, here we go. This is what you used to have, and it comes back to blurry, right? But now here's what we got, and it's all like, oh, it's like read the top line, like A, B, J, K, L, and read the second line, you read those. You didn't even know there was a third line, but now you can read that one, right? Yeah, that's all Paul's saying here. He's like, hey, uh, this mystery I'm about to real, reveal to you it just wasn't clear until now. And I am the one that God has appointed to bring it to you. He's going to get into that mystery in a second, but it, it brings us to this first point that I want to make is this. Uh, be grateful. As we, as we think about the things that, that God's power has brought us, let's all be grateful leaving here this morning that God has the power to overcome hostility between us humans. Because that's where Paul's going to start. He's going to pick up kind of where he left off last week in his letter. Uh, and he's going to say this in Ephesians 3, verse 4. He says, the mystery, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. These are kind of like drum roll verses. He's building the tension. Hey, y'all, in a couple sentences, you're going to know this mystery that I've been given to share with everybody. 
right? He goes on and he says, uh, this mystery which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. He, he says a couple things there. He says, listen, this, this has never been known before. It wasn't time for God to reveal this yet. But in this day and age, he has revealed it. He's revealed it through his apostles and through his prophet, prophets. And let me just cover those real quick. The apostles... Uh, most specifically were the disciples. They were the ones who had spent time with Jesus Christ. Uh, Eleven of them uh, saw him in his resurrected form, right? And they spent about 40 days with him after his resurrection, just hanging out with him. And we don't have a record of everything that was said in those conversations, but we assume most of it was preparation for the disciples to go on. And as apostles, what apostle means is uh, basically a, a, a ministry starter, someone who originates works. And so as the apostles of Jesus Christ, they had heard from Jesus Christ how the church of Jesus Christ was meant to work, and they were sent to do just that, start the church. Other apostles came later. Paul was an apostle because he had face-to-face connection with Jesus on the Damascus Road, and and through uh, Ananias and others, he was trained to be a church starter. And so Paul's just saying, hey, man, this mystery has been made known to the sons of men, that means all men, Jew and Gentile, uh, in this age through the apostles. And then he says through the prophets. And when you and I think prophets, where do we usually go in our Bibles? The Old Testament, right? Because there's this whole section in the back of your Old Testament that's just prophet after prophet after prophet. There's minor prophets. There's major prophets. The only distinction is that minor prophets have shorter books and major prophets have longer books. When I learned that, I thought, that's so lame. That's so, like, pedestrian. I thought it would be very, you know, spiritually mysterious, whatever, mysterious, but it's just longer books. But anyway, all those prophets are in the back there, and when we think prophets, we think Old Testament, typically. But did you know there were prophets in the New Testament? Guys like Agabus and uh, others uh, who were named, but certainly more than that, they they were, uh, like the apostles, given the message of God, of the gospel, by God, to be able to go and, and, and spread the truth with the apostles so that the church have its beginning. That's why later in this same book, Ephesians chapter 4, it says, and he gave some to be apostles and to be prophets and to be evangelists and to be pastors and pastor teachers so that the saints could be equipped and the body could mature and everything could be as the church was meant to be. Is everybody with me on this? So he says, hey man, I'm going to reveal this mystery to you, this mystery that was given to the prophets and to the apostles by the Spirit. Here it comes, punchline. Chapter 3, verse 6, this mystery is this, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And if you've been reading the letter, you're like, seriously, that's the mystery? We already talked about that. That was last chapter, a couple paragraphs ago. But it's so amazing to Paul and so important to the Holy Spirit, it gets a double mention, two chapters in a row. Don't miss out on this, God says through Paul. It is incredible that the gospel has brought hostile people together. You and I need to be grateful that God's power overcomes hostility. These, uh, These two peoples, the Jews and the Gentiles, had been set against each other since the time of Abraham. God had... Uh, prohibited their mixing, uh, even though he intended God or he intended the children of Israel, the, 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 the children of Abraham, to be a blessing to the Gentiles. Uh, 
Instead of blessing and, and, uh, and love, there was cursing and hate. But as we learned last week, God tore down the wall of hostility that separated, separated Jews and Gentiles, and he made this new people. It's called the church, this melting pot uh, of backgrounds and histories, of races and ethnicities, different ages, different stories. I mean, look around the room. We're a mixed bag, right? We come from all over the place, having all kinds of different histories, but we have this one thing in common, the gospel, our savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what pulls us to the parking lot here every Sunday. God is the great uniter of people. Let me get kind of more succinct here. In your life, God is the great reconciler, the great uniter uh, of you with the people that in your life you sometimes come into conflict with. He's the restorer of your relationships, not just the Jews to the Gentiles, but your relationships with your family that you gritted your teeth through a Thanksgiving meal with. In your job relationships that you are dreading to go back to tomorrow. In your friends who aren't your friends anymore because they said this one thing on Facebook and you can't forgive them. Yeah, God, God's power is able to reconnect us through love and forgiveness with those we've been disconnected from. In fact, uh, if you read the teachings of Jesus, that was one of the main themes of what he was telling uh, his followers early on. You go to the Sermon on the Mount, and, and Jesus starts in this particular teaching in the book of Matthew uh, with this list of things that are called the Beatitudes. They're blessings. And he says, if you want to live the blessed life, if you want to live the life that God would prescribe, be these things, do these things. And each one of them starts with the word blessed. In verse 5 of Matthew chapter 5, it says, blessed are the Meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And right away, people are like, wait a minute, what'd you just say? Blessed are the meek. Probably a lot of them, you know, misheard him and thought he was, he was talking about weakness instead of meekness. They were talking about, wait, blessed are those who just kind of lay down and let people roll over them? Blessed are those who have no power? And they didn't understand, uh, perhaps, that Jesus was not talking about coming from a powerless position. He was saying, blessed are those who are in power and choose to set it aside for the sake of love. Blessed are those uh, who have been offended and choose to forgive anyway. Blessed are those who have all the reasons, earthly speaking, in the world to hold a grudge and choose not to. Blessed are those who set aside bitterness and malice and hatred for the sake of bringing people together. It's being in a position of power and setting that aside and saying, hey, I want relationship instead of hostility. He goes on in that same list and he says this. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. He's getting clear. It's hard to mess this one up. What do you mean by peacemaker, Jesus? Well, I mean the people who make peace. Oh, well, blessed are you if you're a peacemaker because you will because, or you will because, you will be called a son of God. 
a daughter of God. You'll, you'll look like your heavenly father. You'll be a chip off the old block because we know that God is a peacemaker. You want to look like him? Go around everywhere making peace. Some of you are like, well, I can't do that. I mean, there's a certain people who won't have it. There's certain people who have uh, rejected, rebuffed me over and over again, my efforts to have peace, and so now, listen, I've done all that. They're my enemies. Sorry. And I, I, I cannot find peace with my enemies. Well, Jesus talks about that later in the same sermon. He says in verse 43 of the same chapter in Matthew, he says, you have heard that it was said, verse 43, that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This was actually a Jewish teaching of the day because love your neighbor, that's in Deuteronomy. Everybody knows you're supposed to love your neighbor. But rabbis had inferred that it's okay to hate your enemy if you love your neighbor really good. As long as you love your neighbor, hate whoever you want. But Jesus said, no, that's, that's not the command. The, the, the law is that we should not just love our neighbors, but we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So that we, and he picks up this same uh, you know, uh, analogy of fatherhood, so that we might be seen as sons and daughters of our father, who is in heaven uh, and, and who makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. See, here, here's what he's saying. God's power overcomes hostility between us and him, between us and, and the, uh, Gen, the Jews, excuse me, as Gentiles, but it can overcome the hostility that exists in your life with other people if you'll just seek to follow him and look like God in how you treat other people. We, we shouldn't love people with the love that the earth commends, which is love that's conditioned on them loving me back, love that's conditioned on, on, on them reciprocating on some level. No, we, we love regardless of what we get back. We seek to forgive regardless of whether the person hurts us again. How many times should we forgive? Remember the disciples asked that question? Jesus said, they said seven times. Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. And his point was, keep going. Just keep going. Now some of you are like, well, wait a minute, Mark. What about boundaries? I'm not saying that we don't uh, live as wise as serpents and gentle as doves. We, we, we are going in some relationships to have to be able to set up parameters in order for us to have health and to be able to function. But the baseline for all relationships, just so we're clear, is love, forgiveness, mercy. The things that God is are the things that we're meant to be. How are you and I doing with that? Are we living at peace with people? It says in verse 18 of Romans chapter 12, it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul kind of gives us a, a, an out clause there. He, he infers that it might not be possible for there to be peace, again, uh, boundaries. But it doesn't excuse us in any relationship from seeking peace, from being a peacemaker, a peace promoter, for taking the first steps. Some of you might say, but Mark, it's their fault. Okay, first of all, um, okay. Maybe 99%, but I'm just saying, in most situations, there's probably something that you've done or could have done that could have made this better. And so if we get past us being the complete innocence that we think we are, and we just say, okay, wait a minute, 
Maybe there was, you know, this time or this situation, this thing that, that I'm at fault in. And if I go to this person and say, I'm sorry for what I can be sorry for, maybe that'll be the, the oil in this, you know, the grease in this wheel, the, 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 the salve that will begin to heal this relationship. So even if I'm not at fault, you know, you know when, I, when I find myself in situations that I don't even know what I've done, you know what my first words are? Sorry. I'm sorry. I truly am. Because even though I don't know what my offense was, I'm sorry that things aren't together as God would attend them. Anyone in your life that you're withholding love and peace from currently? A son, a daughter, a parent, some other family member, some friend, some coworker? I'm gonna uh, make kind of a, a large dare here. Who's got a phone? Anybody got a phone? Hold your phone up if you got your phone for me. There might be people in that contact list of yours that you are not at peace with right now. There might be, you know, friends on your Facebook page that uh, you've sent some cross things uh, across the internet to. And uh, there's no fellowship there currently. Uh, Here's my challenge to you. Before you even leave today, you can do this while I'm preaching this next point, and we're almost done. Uh, But would you text that person? Don't have the conversation on text, just as your pastor. Let me warn you against having any deep, meaningful conversations with your thumbs. Not the best method. But you could start, and you can... uh, invoke or or, uh, predetermine that you're going to deal with this by just firing off a text to that person that you're in in hostility towards and just saying, hey, I'm sorry. For my part, I'm sorry. And I, you know, my pastor's making me do this. You can blame me. I'm totally fine with it. (laughs) But I know that God wants me to be a peacemaker and and I want to do whatever I can to have peace in our relationship. I'll call you when I'm out of church. I'll talk to you tomorrow at work. I'll see you tomorrow at school. Whatever, just start it. You're like, Mark, do you have any Bible that can back this, this crazy dare up? Yeah, it says in the same sermon that Jesus was teaching here, uh, if you come to the altar and you remember that there is something between in your, you and your brother, get up from the altar and go make that relationship right. And too often, I think we, we listen to preaching in principle. Yes, in principle, that is a great idea. Absolutely, someone here should do that. All you people who have enemies. I don't have any, well, except that one guy. But other than that, I don't have any enemies. And everybody here should get on the stick and make that happen. Oh, what about you? What about you and your relationships? I dare you, text them right now. Last thing. Paul's going to go on. He's going to talk about his life and his call to ministry, and, and we're going to see uh, that we should, as we walk out of here, be grateful for God's power in overcoming our past, overcoming our mess-ups, overcoming our deficiencies, just as he overcame Paul's. Look what it says in verse 7. He says, of this gospel, this mysterious gospel of uh, reconciliation and bringing people together, uh, he says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me uh, by the working of his power. He says, I didn't go on, online and, you know, look at monster.com, and, and, and I didn't apply for this job. Uh, I was given this job. It was, it was, it was uh, a grace to me by our Father uh, to be able to be the minister of the gospel to the Gentiles. He says, to me, though I am, verse 8, uh, though I am 
the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles uh, the unsearchable riches of Christ. What a great phrase there, the unsearchable riches. It basically means uh, that everything that Christ touches is enriched and the, 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 the parameter, the, the levels of the richness that Christ brings just can't be searched. No Google on this one. You can't, you, you can't figure out the depths of the richness of Christ. He says, I'm the very least that should be doing this, but here I am. I'm the one who is bringing the gospel, the richness, the unsearchable riches of Christ to you. To, and I'm bringing to, to you the light, uh, uh, or to you and to everyone, the light to light. Uh, I'm bringing to light to you and to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God. So he's basically saying, listen, it starts with salvation. I have the, I have the blessing, uh, the appointment of God to be the one who preaches you salvation. But I didn't stop there. I just didn't you know, birth a lot of baby Christians. I, I stuck it out. I hung out with you for three years and I taught you about the plan that is a part of this gospel because the, the gospel doesn't stop at salvation. It moves forward into sanctification and us becoming more and more like Christ. That's why we're hanging out again this Sunday, right? Because how long have you been a Christian? Seth, for a long time, right? But you're still working at it, aren't you? Working this whole fear and trembling thing out, right? Because that's what we're doing, and that's what Paul says. I came so that you might be Christians and that you might act like Christians. I came so that you might have faith and you might live in faith. And then he says this. So that through the church, it's so great, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Everybody say, Huh? Because what he just got done saying, it's like, listen, it wasn't my idea that I would be the preacher that brought you the gospel. It wasn't my idea that I'd be this, the, the starter of churches and help you live in the gospel and live in this truth that Christ has given you. And it wasn't my idea that the church would be this place where the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, rulers and authorities, you might stop and say, well, that's like Rome, and that's like, you know, the, the, the higher-ups in government. Well, it doesn't say the rulers and authorities of the earth. It says the ruler and the authorities where? In the heavenly places. Now, we've got to be, you know, got to distinguish here. He's not saying heaven where the harps and the angels are. I don't think those are really there, but uh, he's not talking about, you know, the eternal uh, kingdom of God. He's talking about the heavenly realms or the heavenly places, this spiritual thing or uh, uh, place that exists, and we materially are a part of it. It's happening right now around us. But here's what he just said. Cut to the quick. The church was given to the angels, the bad ones and the good ones, as a classroom, a learning environment for them to understand this God who they serve, angels, and who they work against and defy, that's the demons. Here's what I mean. Did you know that angels don't know everything? They're not omniscient. They're created beings just like you and me. Anybody here know everything? I know some of you think you do, you don't. <laughs> angels are in the same boat. And just so you know, the angels in the heavenly realm were probably you know, standing around the water cooler you know, the day after Adam and Eve sinned and saying, why are they still here? Why didn't God just get rid of these other created beings? They've messed up. What, could, what good could possibly come from the presence of evil? Well, all kinds of good. All kinds of things in the character of God are hidden until they are manifested in the presence of evil. Things like grace, forgiveness, mercy. None of those things would be understood apart from sin being in the world. 
And so here comes this church full of sinners that need God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And God, through the church, says to his followers, his angels, he says, voila, parts of me you would never see apart from this messed up, mangled bunch of people coming together in the body of Christ, right? He also says, hey, demons, you angelic beings who fell out of heaven and followed your leader, Lucifer, hey, all of you who are dead set at destroying everything that I've created for good, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand this. No matter how bad things get, no matter how hard you press in on and wreck families and personal lives and cultures and regions, no matter how bad things get, my grace and mercy and power are able to bring dead things back to life. They're able to reconnect what's been hostile towards each other. In essence, here's what I'm telling you, demons. You think you win, you will never win. Because I am more powerful than the bad that you bring. Great stuff. Let me close with this, though. Verse 8. It says, Paul says this again. He says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, one of my favorite things about Paul when he writes is he is way in tune with who he was before Jesus. Like that's why you can trust your Bibles, I think, one of the reasons, is that if this was kind of a, a, a trumped up, pumped up, you know, kind of book that's promoting a false religion, we could reason that they'd leave all the, the frailties, the bad stuff out of the writing. But here's Paul, who's the most powerful guy in the church, and not only is he a prisoner and getting this teeth knocked out on a regular basis by those who oppose the church, and that's reported in our scriptures. He's hard on himself. He's self-aware. He says, listen, I'm an apostle, I'm, I'm a leader, I'm a, I'm a presenter of the gospel to the Gentiles, but I certainly don't deserve to be one. He says the same thing to his friends in Corinth when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, for I am the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He's like, you guys know my record. I shouldn't be doing this. Well, look what he says next, and let's close thinking about this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Oh, let that phrase just wash over you today. And as you reflect on your life today, I want you to remember that whoever you are, by the grace of our, you are. And whatever you have, by the grace of God, you have that. And some of us, we spend most of our lives thinking about who we wish we were or what we wish we had. And we blow right past the blessings and the grace that God has given us. I call those kinds of people uh, glass drop full people. Sometimes they have better days and they all go all the way to glass half full. Excuse me, glass half empty, not half full. <coughs> but they kind of have this negative um, demanding, deserving approach to this life that they've been given by the grace of God. Glass half empty people, they're the people who say things like this, I know how things ought to be and they're not. The glass half full people aware of God's grace, like Paul and so many others. They say, man, I don't know how things should be and I'm so glad things aren't as bad as they could be. 
Glass half empty people are worried that God can't recover and win in any situation, but glass half full people, they understand this, that God has already won. Glass half empty people say, God, you should have done more. Glass half full people say, God, thank you so much for what you've done. Glass half empty people say, that, they say this, they say, I deserve better than this. But glass half full people say, I deserve death. I deserve hell. I deserve wrath and eternal separation from God. And because of his love, through his grace and mercy, he's given me what I could never get for myself. Hmm. Paul goes on, as a glass half, glass half full person, recognizing that all that he is is what God has made him to be. And he says this, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Oh, that this church, every member of it, every person who follows Jesus in it could be able to say that at any given moment in their life. The grace of God to me was not given me in vain. I have understood his grace, and I live my life as a response to his grace. Serving him, pouring myself out for him, seeking to be like him because of all that he's done for me. Hmm. Let's be grateful that God has erased and will erase the barriers that separate us from people and let's be active in creating peace where there isn't any. Let's be grateful for the fact that God has overcome the sins of our past. He's overcome the sins of our present. He will overcome the sins of our future. And he has given us grace. He's not just filled our glasses to half full. He's filled them to overflowing. In his grace, we have all that we need. In his power, we have all that we need. Let's live for him. Will you stand and sing with me this song that we sang earlier? Familiar refrain. It's about the amazing grace of our God and the fact that he's freed us from the chains to live lives of gratitude for him. Sing this, aware and grateful. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see my chains are gone I've been set free my God my sin me and like a flood his mercy reigns unending love amazing grace will you pray with me God we thank you for your unending love your unconditional love for the peace that you have sought to bring to us through your son Jesus the peace that you sought to give us uh, with each other. Uh, your grace to us is amazing. Help us to be 
what you've called us to be, to exemplify your character in our relationships, to seek peace where there is none. There's probably a room full of people that got someone to say sorry to in here. Uh, help us to go and find them and seek peace. And then, Father, if, if we're sitting here defeated, if we're sitting here uh, feeling like we're deserving, if we're sitting here uh, unaware of your grace to us, would you take us uh, from seeing this life as uh, the glass being half full? Help us to see all that we have in you, you know, to live our lives, not in vain, uh, but as a thank you to you for your grace. We love you, Lord. We lift you up in this place. Uh, use us as we leave here to make much of you, to bring you the glory that you deserve as we appreciate your grace to us. In Jesus' name I pray. The church said, amen, you guys. God bless you.